Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And if you were watching Virtual Legality yesterday, then what you would have seen was me commenting very briefly on a CWA, a Communications Workers of America union statement that was backing up Microsoft and their bid to purchase Activision. That actually went up towards the very tail end of my preparing for that specific video, which was more focused on whether or not there was some kind of problem or competition among the Federal Trade Commission commissioners that was leading to a result that would suggest that maybe this deal is going to go through when certain of the commissioners, especially Chair Lena Khan, would prefer it not to. But that was only a part of the story as it happened very rapidly yesterday. And this, the 51st episode of the Microsoft Times Activision playlist, is going to walk us through what I would describe as a public relations blitz from Microsoft. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about why I think that happened yesterday, what it means, what arguments they are making. But before I do, I do want to point out that this is a viewer and listener supported channel. We have a Utreon and a Patreon to allow that support. And if you do like this kind of content, please, among other things, liking, subscribing and whatnot, check out those particular platforms for continuing to support us in our efforts. And in one of those tiers, you can support a given episode a month like Raketsu86 is doing today. So very special thanks to Raketsu86. We can't do it without support from viewers and listeners like you. Now, that being said, we do need to go into a little bit of background to understand what I'm talking about vis-a-vis a PR blitz yesterday. If you haven't followed each and every episode of this playlist, well, why not? But honestly, it's a lot of content. Then you might not have seen that a few days ago, the Politico put up an article that says feds are likely to challenge Microsoft's $69 billion Activision takeover. In other words, they were likely to seek a lawsuit, a preliminary injunction from the federal courts or just an administrative court ruling that would allow them to prevent the deal in its entirety. There are three levels that they can do. They can allow the deal, they can try to prevent it, or they can try to allow it with concessions, a consent decree document, essentially promises that Microsoft would enter into. And Politico went out there with an article that basically said the FTC is looking to sue. And that raised a lot of alarm bells, raised a lot of red flags across a whole host of people, including investors, Wall Street, and of course, think tanks and article writers. I have here in front of you, The Economist, who just a couple of days after that announcement said Trustbusters should let Microsoft buy Activision Blizzard. They make a number of points about this, but end off with I think a pretty salient point, certainly more so in respect to video games than other industries that require a lot of manufacturing, which is that technology companies are often thought to be monopolists. In 2016, Hollywood was rife with fears that Netflix would become a monopoly. Some argued it wielded so much power that fed up creative types were scared to criticize it. Its advantage did not last. Today, its growth is stalling as it faces competition from Amazon and Disney. Games are harder to make and stream than sitcoms, but plenty of firms are capable of challenging Microsoft including gaming rivals like Nintendo and technology giants like NVIDIA and Apple. And they might be more difficult to make than sitcoms. It's arguable about whether they're more difficult to make than blockbuster motion pictures and things that are trying to be sold on these various streaming services. But you see here that, again, a lot of folks had rallied either for or against the deal over the course of the weekend. And I think Microsoft felt that the time was now to pursue action. That probably only came into a further decision-making process when the post went out on Sunday of this weekend and said, actually, 
the FTC might not try to block the deal because there is a commissioner at the FTC that looks to have potentially flipped on what would be a three to one vote, instead locking it up at a two to two vote, which can't proceed to block the deal, even though the Federal Trade Commission can always reserve the right to cause trouble later on if they don't like the cut of Microsoft's jib or what they're doing with the Activision assets. That's a reality in the United States antitrust jurisprudence. Either way, whether you believe this New York Post article or not, that gave Microsoft the opportunity to decide whether or not it was going to speak on this. And of course, they decided to do so. They also decided, I would argue, to rally their affiliates, if you will, on this. And most notably, the one we're going to talk about the most is the Communication Workers of America, the union that originally, back before they had really talked to Microsoft about this at length, signed a letter and asked the Federal Trade Commission to look at this deal closely because they were concerned that it going through would harm union activities at Activision once the assets changed hands. By the time we arrive at Monday, the CWA is all in for Microsoft. And I really do think that Microsoft is saying, all right, we've made our agreements. We've dealt with you. We have talked through all of this. It's now time to put up or shut up. And the CWA put forth this comment that we talked about in yesterday's video. If the FTC approves the Microsoft Activision merger with the labor agreement that we created to protect collective bargaining rights, it would send a game-changing message to corporations Workers do have a seat at the table and their concerns must be addressed. So they want the FTC to approve it specifically because Microsoft has entered into a neutrality agreement that Microsoft, even though they have the right under labor laws in the United States to argue against the usefulness of a union, has agreed to effectively stay out of it. Now, that agreement was specific to Activision. We'll come back to that. But the CWA has a few more things to say in this thread that was literally going live as I was taping yesterday's video. CWA continues with union representation and collective bargaining agreements are the most powerful tools workers have to balance power between themselves and corporations which have too much control over our economy, our democracy, and our work lives. Collective bargaining is a bulwark against downward pressure on wages from merged employers with increased market power. Contractual protections also mean that union workers are more likely to blow the whistle on dangerous or unethical behavior, which benefits both employees and consumers. And is, of course, pertinent to Activision, which is still ongoing in a lawsuit with the state of California about very bad things that they are accused of doing with respect to women and sexual harassment. Our neutrality agreement with Microsoft is different from other behavioral remedies, which have often been tossed aside by companies as soon as the ink was dry on their deals. This is a structural solution. They don't want you to think about this as behavioral FTC because word has come out across a whole host of outlets that the FTC doesn't much care for behavioral solutions, promises that a company can make for the future. This is highlighted by the Taylor Swift Ticketmaster Live Nation incident that we talked about on this channel prior to this video. But they want you to know, even though it looks like a behavioral solution, we promise to do X into the future. It's not, it's structural. CWA says it creates a pathway for workers to organize and exercise their true bargaining strength, altering power relations in the labor context, but also potentially empowering thousands of consumer-minded watchdogs inside the company. Now, we also heard when the New York Times reported on this before all the stuff with Politico and Reuters that we've been looking at over the past few days, that effectively the CWA was told by the FTC, again, all in leaked innuendo, rumors and speculation, so treat it with the grain of salt that it needs to be treated with, that the FTC effectively told them, well, companies welch on their promises all the time. 
indicating that the FTC had a certain stance with whomever was talking in respect of that particular quote as relayed by the CWA that they didn't really believe that the bargaining agreement that Microsoft had entered into was all that worthwhile. Here the CWA stands against that proposition. And why do they do that? Is it because Microsoft and the CWA think that the FTC is preparing a lawsuit? Maybe. Or it might be because with that New York Post article out there that they think if there's a chance to flip someone, now is the time to put the full court press on. And what you are seeing here is you are seeing essentially the the reaping of what they have sowed all year, right? The CWA is on Microsoft's side because of that agreement they entered into over the summer. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. Other aspects of this are potentially useful for Microsoft because they have put out the press releases and indicated that they want to do certain things like treat their app store openly to be against Apple and Google, which you'll see referenced when we talk about Microsoft's opinion editorial in just a few minutes, that this should be thought of as everything Microsoft was aimed for all year. And whether or not that's because they now have an indication behind the scenes that the FTC is preparing to sue them, or it's because the New York Post has said there's a chance that a Democratic commissioner could flip to their side, it doesn't actually matter for when you would do this if you're Microsoft. You see all that coming out, and you hit all the buttons at once, and that's what we saw. Including, as linked here by the CWA, the fact that Chris Shelton actually put out an opinion editorial in The Hill. Chris Shelton is the president of the CWA. And he says in this editorial, the coming decision about whether to allow Microsoft's merger with Activision Blizzard to move forward is a bellwether for American antitrust policy. By approving this merger, the FTC has the opportunity to make a strong statement in favor of economic democracy and provide a blueprint for an enforceable remedy to protect workers from large employers abusing market power to undercut wages and working conditions. Now, if that sounds to you just like generic union speak, it is, and yet it is being said in defense of one of the largest companies on earth buying another very, very large company. Microsoft has to be applauded from a strategic perspective for winning over the union as much as they did over these past few months. Labor considerations have for too long been absent from antitrust decisions, even though the potential harms to workers as the result of mergers are evident. And here's where I might disagree. I might separate a little bit from the union president here. The antitrust laws are a very poor hammer, a very poor weapon to start to defend on these grounds without being able to prove monopsony power, which is what CWA said Microsoft would have over game developers, which was essentially flatly false. Uh, There's a ton of game developers out there in the world and even in the United States jurisdiction. And honestly, they're very flexible in their movement capabilities, not the least of which is because they mostly work in California and California doesn't allow for non-competition provisions at all. So there's a lot of companies constantly starting, constantly failing. It's a dynamic industry, but we'll allow it here. They believe that this deal could have meant monopsony power, meaning Microsoft had uh, a sole buyer kind of position for video game making labor. And then from the start, continues this editorial, President Biden made clear that things would be different on his watch. Restoring the American middle class by strengthening unions has been a top priority for his administration. And the president issued an executive order calling on the Department of Justice and the FTC to strengthen antitrust guidelines to address labor market concerns with a particular focus on the tech sector. Microsoft was well aware of this changed antitrust climate when it announced its intent to acquire Activision Blizzard, knowing that regulators would be taking a close look at the transaction's potential impact on workers. It was in this context that we were able to negotiate an unprecedented labor neutrality agreement, which if the merger is approved, 
would allow workers at Activision to freely and fairly make a choice about union representation. So let's take a look. Let's go back in time a little bit just to talk about this, how this went down, because this really is one of the things Microsoft was very focused on in order to get to this PR blitz yesterday from places like the CWA. So on your screen right now is the letter that was written by the four senators that complained to the FTC about this prospective deal, and it was primarily focused on worker concerns. Following Activision Blizzard's layoff of Raven Software QA workers, Activision Blizzard employees mobilized to demand that every member of the QA team, including those terminated on Friday, must be offered full-time positions. Shortly after the layoffs, Activision Blizzard and Raven Software QA workers began striking. And by January 2022, workers asked for voluntary recognition to form a union with the CWA. However, Microsoft's proposed acquisition could interfere with Raven Software workers' unionization push. Although Microsoft announced in March 2022 that it would not stand in the way if Activision Blizzard recognized the proposed union, this announcement appears to be little more than lip service. It provides no assurances of Microsoft's promise and is so vague that it leaves multiple ways for Microsoft to undermine the unionization process and its outcome. And the actions of both Activision Blizzard and Microsoft throughout the merger process undermine the value of this late in the game statement. Now that's March, that's not June. And when June rolls around, Microsoft says, no, 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 no. We are willing to offer a lot more. And see Brad Smith, vice chair and president of Microsoft in charge of governmental relations, who puts forth, we're going to stay neutral. Our employees will never need to organize to have a dialogue with Microsoft's leaders, but we won't get in their way, right? So it's a kind of corporate speaky type statement. Hey, we don't think you'd necessarily need one because you'll always be able to talk to us. Our doors are always open yet. Hey, we understand that this is a particular sticking point potentially for the FTC and other regulators. And so we are going to comment on the fact that they will have the legal right to join a union and we won't do anything to stop them, particularly with respect to the Activision workers, not necessarily Microsoft, but we'll come back to that in a minute. So Microsoft enters into this deal. I do a video on it. It's part of this playlist. I believe I have a reference to neutrality and maybe a screenshot of Futurama, I believe. Uh, union representation and collective bargaining agreements are the most powerful tools workers have. We saw that in the tweets. This is critical when considering merger impacts. Collective bargaining is a bulwark against those downward pressures. The telecommunications workers of my union know more about the networks they build and maintain than C-suite executives. Again, it's a very union advocacy type position you would expect from a president of a major union. There is arguably no industry that needs a strong workforce with inside knowledge to expose wrongdoing or stand up for the common good more than tech. Our neutrality agreement with Microsoft is different from other behavioral remedies, which have often been tossed aside. This is a structural solution. Sony, which currently has the largest share of the video game console market, has been one of the few vocal opponents of the merger. Now, this doesn't necessarily directly advocate for the CWA. This is why this tends to look to me and to others like something that Microsoft is marshalling with the news on Politico, with the news on the New York Post, now is the time to put forth all of the efforts that you've otherwise expended throughout the year. It is a stark contrast of interests at Sony, says the CWA. If the merger is approved and the labor deal with Microsoft is effectuated, Activision Blizzard workers across the United States fighting sexual harassment and other poor working conditions stand to finally have a voice on the job and a chance to shape working conditions throughout the industry. And gamers will have allies inside a corporation with real protections for speaking out in consumers' interests. If the merger is disapproved, the power relations within the gaming industry for labor stay the same. Sony protects its very profitable position as the industry leader, and consumers will have to wait and see. If subscription services mature into a viable gaming option, 
This almost reads to me. We're speculating now here. So take that with the grain of salt that I would tell you to take any other speculation with. But this sounds like a Microsoft drafted paragraph. This is only tangentially related to kind of worker protections. You get the reference to Activision here, which kind of makes it a CWA kind of stance. But outside of that, it's Sony is bad. Sony's looking to lock up their position. And who knows what would even happen to subscription services, which is true and certainly something Microsoft wants to see advocated, but it isn't specific to worker protections, worker rights, worker salaries, or anything else. Workers in general don't really have a tangible interest in whether subscription services make it as video games overall. That's more of a corporate kind of standpoint. So this is one of the kind of giveaway paragraphs where you say, okay, of course, we can look at the politics. We could speculate on this. This is what Microsoft bought or negotiated for over the course of the year, but it's pretty obvious, right? FTC Chair Lena Khan has been a strong advocate for an antitrust policy that takes workers' interests in fair market functioning into account. Thanks to her leadership and the outreach and interest of the FTC staff, gilding the lily a little bit with the Federal Trade Commission and its commissioners, especially its chair, labor is now a part of the national antitrust conversation. Perhaps not yet. Proving this merger with the labor agreement that we fashioned with Microsoft to protect collective bargaining rights would send a game-changing message to corporate America that workers do indeed have a seat at the table and their concerns uh, matter and must be addressed. It's time to seal the deal, not blow it up. So the CWA, which formally wrote a letter saying we really need to worry about this deal, negotiated with Microsoft, got an agreement that they're clearly very happy about. They're marshalling for Microsoft here on the eve of potentially big votes happening at the U.S. level and the Federal Trade Commission level. And it's time to seal the deal, not blow it up is what they finish off with. Now understand, I say Microsoft helped buy slash negotiate for these deals. The CWA is doing the very same thing. This is arguably how arm's length negotiations are supposed to work. CWA puts out that letter to get a seat at the table. Says, hey, we're gonna complain about this deal. That gets Microsoft's attention. Microsoft turns its attention to the CWA, says, what are you actually looking for? At some level, the CWA says, we want a neutrality agreement vis-a-vis Activision, but we'd also have an expectation that that might well apply to Microsoft, a much bigger corporation than Activision. Microsoft, at the time they put out these statements that we had been talking about, says, okay, maybe we'll evaluate that on the Microsoft level, but we will make certain promises about Activision coming over. And then the CWA adopts this position when Microsoft needs it most. Understanding, of course, the CWA can go and make these changes, which they did as soon as they agreed to this neutrality agreement in June. On the basis of the CWA's agreement with Microsoft, workers can now be assured that this transaction will not undermine that legal principle or the broader antitrust laws pertaining to labor markets. We're in favor of the deal, says Chris Shelton, both in The Hill yesterday, in this letter from over this past summer, and that's going to matter to the Federal Trade Commission, maybe. If there is somebody that is willing to flip in favor of Microsoft, every single button is being pressed here. Why? Well, because for one thing, the CWA is a Democratic-facing organization, right? And we're talking about the three Democratic commissioners on the Federal Trade Commission, as we talked about yesterday, not so much the Republican, which is expected to vote for Microsoft on this deal in any event. So the CWA is an important force when we're talking about things from the Democrat side. We've already talked, as we did yesterday, about the fact that the Federal Trade Commission has been pushing boundaries in a way that even Democratic commissioners might be feeling uncomfortable with, especially those that weren't nominated in the past year or year and a half. And that could lead to a situation like this one, which is exactly what Microsoft 
is hoping happens. Furthermore, Microsoft upped the ante yesterday. And here's another CWA tweet. Great news. Unlike most tech companies, Microsoft is honoring its stated principles about neutrality and about being okay with unions and letting workers at its ZeniMax studio decide for themselves whether they want a union. Congratulations, ZeniMax workers. Now, this might sound very similar to the Activision case, but it is very different because right now ZeniMax is a Microsoft company. Microsoft has been notoriously, uh, let's just say, not hostile exactly, but notoriously interested in preventing unionization efforts across its company. And this is a big moment in time for video games and Microsoft in general, where the New York Times posts video game workers at Microsoft and Activision take steps to unionize. Microsoft has remained neutral during a labor organizing bid as the Xbox maker seeks regulatory approval for its Activision acquisition. So understand, this is two major players, sophisticated parties using each other in this. Microsoft needs the CWA's approval to try to get this thing through the Federal Trade Commission and other regulatory bodies. CWA sees that, sees Microsoft as someone that can't really act against them on this and says, let's organize ZeniMax. At the same time, let's make Microsoft put their money where their mouth is because they might have given us a promise on Activision, but it would look very, very poor optically and politically for them to now come down hard on this particular unionization effort. And you got to give credit to the CWA for taking advantage of the leverage situation they find themselves in. Whereas the New York Times uh, posts, a few months after Microsoft announced plans to acquire the video game maker Activision Blizzard, the tech giant said it would remain neutral if Activision workers sought to unionize once the deal went through. Now, a major union is testing Microsoft's appetite for organizing at a company it already owns. And it's not any union. It is the union that Microsoft was directly negotiating with vis-a-vis the unionization efforts at Activision and now has a seat at the table at unionizing Microsoft's video game companies as well. A group of more than 300 employees at ZeniMax Media, a Maryland-based video game maker owned by Microsoft, has begun voting on whether to form the company's only union in the United States. Now, that's a very big group. We're still talking about quality assurance uh, employees. The vote among those quality assurance employees at ZeniMax, which includes prominent studios like Bethesda, is taking place under an informal agreement in which Microsoft is staying neutral. Workers can sign a union authorization card, as some began doing last month, or weigh in anonymously for or against unionization on an electronic platform that opened on Friday. The process will conclude at the end of the month. It is more efficient than a typical union election, which is overseen by the NLRB and can involve legal wrangling over the terms of the election. Same day that voting began at Microsoft, a group of workers in quality assurance at an Activision-owned studio near Albany, New York, won a union vote 14 to nothing. Pretty definitive. The result followed a successful union vote in May by about two dozen QA workers at an Activision studio in Wisconsin, a first for a major North American video game maker. The organizing campaigns at both companies have been under the auspices of the CWA. Together, the developments appear to add momentum to a wave of union organizing over the past year at previously non-union companies, and a 300-worker union would be quite groundbreaking and could propel QA workers and even other game workers like developers to unionize at other large studios, says Johanna Weststar, an associate professor at Western University in Ontario who studies labor in the industry. Now, that will be a much more important Uh, bridge to cross if that were to happen. The thing that has happened with respect to Activision and now Microsoft slash ZeniMax is that they won a National Labor Relations Board assessment that the various groups at a video game company, specifically Quality Assurance, 
could be separated off and form their own unions? One of the open questions that we discussed as part of this playlist, as well as I think Activision versus California's playlist, was what makes a union a union is shared interests. And nobody really knew before these developments this year how a video game company would be treated in a unionization effort because there are arguments to be made at the corporate level that say you're all a part of building a single product and to the extent that that is true you all have a shared commonality of interest and we can't just split off different job classes for this purpose now the national labor relations board has said yes you can split off quality assurance but a lot of what is going to matter in the future is can you split off art from design can you split off narrative in some way what does that mean vis-a-vis video game making and we don't know the answers to those questions so if there is an advancement of this particular ball it will be interesting to see when the whole studio or the creative portion of the studio sorry quality assurance but that's kind of how this analysis works is going to be allowed to vote in different genres different profiles different job sets or whether they're going to all have to vote together because how Activision has tried to block these or has tried to uh, encourage uh, folks to think about whether or not they want to make a union depending on how benefit of the doubt you want to give to Activision is based on hey the whole company should be allowed to vote on whether they want to be a union shop or not and the National Labor Relations Board has rejected that in favor of quality assurance workers having enough of a distinct interest from the rest of the workers at the company that they should be allowed to form their own union. Now, Microsoft's allowing that at ZeniMax. They say, as a spokeswoman tells the New York Times, that this is an example of our labor principles in action and that we're committed to providing employees with an opportunity to freely and fairly make choices about their workplace representation. Now, if you, as I, think that Microsoft perhaps prefers not to have union representation at various portions of its entire company, this is a slightly fraught position from the corporate perspective. They're now on the record in the New York Times, a national publication saying, we're going to be neutral about unions. It's limited right now to their video game side of things, particularly ZeniMax and quality assurance. But you can easily see these words being used against them in other contexts through a massive enterprise that is Microsoft. So they are doing this, I would argue, in order to try to advance the ball with respect to the regulators evaluating the Activision deal. But they're not without risk on all of this. And the New York Times notes that this is, in fact, the situation. Uh, Towards the end of this article, they they do say, uh, in June, they announced an agreement and Microsoft had a motive for seeking that neutrality agreement. The politically powerful communication workers union had raised questions about the acquisition. They were playing their leverage as well, which regulators were vetting. The union said its concerns about the acquisition had been resolved after it reached that neutrality agreement. The company hinted at the time that it would extend that neutrality to current Microsoft employees, saying it was prepared to build on the deal. And the union essentially tested that proposition when it went to organize ZeniMax while the deal approval was still pending. Microsoft may have had an additional reason to take a neutral stance, showing that it has a healthy relationship with organized labor could help the company navigate the acquisition under the union-friendly Biden administration as scrutiny of the deal intensifies. As if to underscore the point, the union's president, Chris Shelton, met with the chairwoman of the Federal Trade Commission in October and urged regulators not to block the deal. That's where we get that New York Times quote story rumor where he said that the Federal Trade Commission was perhaps not taking the neutrality agreement seriously and that companies welch on their promises all the time. So all of these stories are circling around on Monday, December 5th, immediately after a weekend in which Politico reports that the deal's in trouble, that the New York Post says maybe it's not because there's some wavering on the commissioner's basis, and Microsoft hits all the public relations buttons at once. And if you think I am hyperbolizing that, well, then maybe you didn't see the Wall Street Journal yesterday 
in which that same Brad Smith that put out the neutrality agreement post that it has been a quoted source on a lot of this got an opinion editorial piece directly in the Wall Street Journal entitled Microsoft's Activision Blizzard Acquisition is good for gamers. Far from harming competition, it'll allow us to compete against more powerful companies through innovation. And that in and of itself is a pretty bold title. But you'll also note that we don't even have to take this with a grain of salt. We could take it with a whole boulder. Obviously, it's the president of Microsoft and governmental relations saying this deal that we're entirely in favor of is a deal we would like to see go through the FTC. That said, we can look at his arguments here and some of them are pretty interesting. So this is an opinion editorial in the Wall Street Journal, basically the same time when the CWA is putting up the Hill stuff, also the same time when the New York Times is putting up a story about ZeniMax unionizing and Microsoft allowing it because they're good guys in the industry. It was quite the day yesterday. Federal Trade Commission reportedly plans to sue Microsoft to stop our proposed acquisition of Activision Blizzard. Now let's pause here on this very first sentence because the presentation that is given to this by Brad Smith, president at Microsoft, is that they are writing this opinion editorial piece because they think the Federal Trade Commission is going to sue. Now, it's reportedly, we aren't getting a full idea of what Microsoft thinks about what the chances are the Federal Trade Commission might sue because they are basing this, or at least presenting as basing this, on that Politico story, on the Reuters story, on the indications like The Economist reported on that there might just be a push at the Federal Trade Commission to try to block this deal outright. That's what they're hearing at Microsoft, and so they report on this. We don't know whether this has anything to do with the New York Post claims or what might be happening internally to the FTC, because honestly, this is a good enough reason to push the public relations button. But I also suspect secondarily that if there is any chance that you could flip a commissioner, it's also a great time to put this forth. So you don't need to believe the New York Post to think if there's that possibility, if there's a 1% chance we got to treat it as a possibility. Well, then that's why Microsoft goes absolutely crazy with the public relations stuff on Monday. That would be a huge mistake, says Microsoft. It would be terrible for the Federal Trade Commission to try to block this deal. It would hurt competition, he says. It would hurt consumers and it would hurt thousands of game developers. Now understand that's basically the opposite of what we've been hearing from the UK and the CMA and to some extent the European Commission and leaks from the Federal Trade Commission because at the end of the day, what we're looking at in this situation is some regulators think that this hurts competition because you can pull stuff that allows Sony to compete in the marketplace. And yes, this basically all relates to Sony. There are no other viable voices going out there and saying that this deal should be blocked in terms of industry perspectives. Sony says, we will die without Call of Duty. They will take over the market. They will take over subscription services. They will take over cloud gaming. Uh, and this needs to be stopped. Sony's most recent statement was, an independent Activision is required to have this gaming industry work. I don't agree with them, but that is their current claim. Here, Brad Smith at Microsoft is saying the exact opposite. He is saying that blocking the deal hurts competition, and their advocacy point here is going to be that Microsoft isn't in the catbird seat, isn't the market leader. They are trying to use their resources, their money, uh, to go and to force more competition. That purchasing Activision, that actually doing these various things specifically with bringing innovation to the video game space in the form of cloud gaming and to some extent subscription services, although you won't hear it referenced here so much, is 
making things more competitive because Sony has to react. Maybe Nintendo has to react. Don't know if PC would have to react. I wouldn't imagine so. But that blocking this deal effectively locks Sony into their market position and also provides a chilling effect for basically anyone to try to gain traction within the industry itself. You don't have to agree with Microsoft. In fact, I think they stretch the argument a little bit far, even in this opinion editorial. But it is essentially two different worlds that you're looking at from Sony's perspective, which I find very tortuously argued, and from Microsoft's, which I think goes a little bit too far in places. Microsoft faces huge challenges in the gaming industry, says President Smith. Our Xbox remains in third place in console gaming, stuck behind Sony's dominant PlayStation and the Nintendo Switch. We have no meaningful presence in the mobile game industry. That segment of gaming generates the most revenue and is the fastest growing, but a significant portion of the revenue goes to Google and app through their app store fees. Okay. So all of these statements are completely vetted to within an inch of their life. I've told you this is a public relations blitz. What is this doing down here? Well, as we've talked about in the past, in this very playlist, Apple and Google are persona non grata to regulators right now. They are the ones that are being looked at most closely. And a lot of that is because of Epic versus Apple, the Coalition for App Fairness, a lot of arguments from developers you saw. Elon Musk take Apple to task earlier this month. You see all of these things focused on Apple versus Google. When we talk about big tech, when we talk about politicians trying to tackle big tech in general, one of the things we see them focused on most is Apple and Google and App Store access. They also focus on things like Amazon and self-preferencing and things like that. Maybe that'll come up in another video. But for right now, you've got Microsoft just kind of out of the side of their mouths saying, well, not only are we stuck in this market, not only are we trying to advance the ball in this market, but we're having trouble with mobile, which we honestly don't really try to participate in so far, because of those dirty Google and Apple App Store fees. Am I right? And this points to another thing that they've done over the course of the year, not just with the CWA, not just with neutrality agreements or other things that they've said. Very early on in this, only about a month after the deal is announced, they, and I talk about this in this playlist, start adopting coalition for app fairness policies. We're adapting ahead of regulation, a principled approach to app stores. Today, we're announcing a new set of open app store principles that will apply to Microsoft Store on Windows and to the next generation marketplaces we will build for games. We've developed these principles in part to address Microsoft's growing role and responsibility as we start the process of seeking regulatory approval in capitals around the world for our acquisition of Activision Blizzard. This regulatory process begins while many governments are also moving forward with new laws to promote competition in app markets and beyond. We want regulators and the public to know that as a company, Microsoft is committed to adapting to these new laws, and with these principles, we're moving to do so. And as I said at the time, yep, companies generally have to adapt to new laws as they're passed, but the importance of this was a little bit un misunderstood, let's say that, at the time. What they wanted to do was they wanted to have the ability to frame Google and Apple specifically as the bad guys when and if needed in opinion editorials and other frameworks like what we saw yesterday. So while this might seem like almost a complete non sequitur towards the allowance of buying Activision, because nobody was really arguing that Microsoft shouldn't be allowed to buy King. Microsoft really doesn't have a presence in mobile gaming. Mobile gaming is a huge portion of the gaming overall market. No one's really suggesting Microsoft shouldn't be able to move into that market unless you're going to take the Federal Trade Commission's meta and Facebook arguments against their purchase of within to the nth degree. We're not really hearing that so far from the European regulators, the United Kingdom regulators, but it is a possibility that is trying to be discounted by Brad Smith here when he says, oh, no, we can't even get a foothold 
because of those crazy folks at Google and Apple. That's where your ire should be aimed. Acquiring Activision Blizzard would enable Microsoft to compete against these companies through innovation that would benefit consumers, right? Not only are we going to compete against Sony, not only are we going to compete against Nintendo, we're also going to compete against those real bad guys that you hate so very much in Apple and Google. How are we going to do that? Well, they lock down their apps, but we have a streaming solution and we're going to try to fight their lockdown in particular, but we're also going to be able to get around certain things on their app store for locking down gaming, among other things. While modern consumers can stream videos or music on multiple devices on low-cost subscription plans, (laughs) low-cost, your mileage may vary as the prices get jacked up throughout the year, many games can often only be individually purchased and downloaded onto one device. Microsoft wants to change that by offering consumers the option to subscribe to a cloud gaming service that lets them stream a variety of games on multiple devices for one reasonable fee. It would also benefit developers by allowing them to reach a much broader audience. Now, interestingly enough, in this entire Apple section, you also had what may be a coincidental kind of news item break while this opinion editorial was going up, while the New York Times article was going up, while the Hill article was going up. And that is that Apple basically lost a national labor relations investigation against the CWA at the very same time. Here's a tweet from the Apple Retail Union, retweeted by the CWA of a report from Josh Edelson. Apple violated labor law in Atlanta by interrogating workers and making coercive statements in mandatory meetings. The labor board's regional director has determined NLRB plans to issue another complaint against Apple unless there's come some kind of settlement regarding their behavior. Now that just kind of combines with everything that is being said here pretty much perfectly for Microsoft. And it's possible they timed this out because they knew this news was coming down, but I don't think it's important enough for them to have done so. It's just another piece of the ingredients. When the CWA goes to the New York Times, when they go to the Hill and say, Microsoft is different, this deal should be allowed. The Federal Trade Commission, I think rightly looks at it and says, "Uh, I think you're being snowed by Microsoft a little bit. I think that's pretty accurate for corporate documentation. But if they lock down that neutrality agreement as much as they think they have, That's how you get this kind of advocacy from a union organization like the CWA. And then Microsoft, as we talked about, basically forced to allow the ZeniMax unionization in this time frame, in this window. And while you can see how high stakes labor games are played by these parties. But that's the state of play for Apple. Then on top of that, we have a very interesting argument specifically about streaming to get subscribers to this service, which they are describing as streaming onto multiple devices, not just Game Pass but also cloud, really. Microsoft needs a full library of popular games, and as things stand, we simply don't have enough. That's where the acquisition comes in. Activision Blizzard comes with popular mobile, PC, and console games, including Candy Crush, World of Warcraft, and Call of Duty. Now, interestingly, if you do buy what the FTC is selling, vis-a-vis things like the Facebook blockage of the within purchase, one of the things they argue in that particular context, which I think is a poor legal argument, but does argue directly against this paragraph is that they're against meta purchasing within because they say they could have spent the money to build their own studio and then we'd have two. And while I don't think that should be a requirement of what corporations do with their money on this score, and that's one of the reasons I think the Facebook within blockage is one of the more problematic that the Federal Trade Commission has engaged in recently, that kind of argument would hold here. Hey, you need more games? How many more games can you buy with $70 billion? Now, there aren't an infinite number of video game developers out there. So to the extent that you are going and funding a new studio, you are taking away resources from someone else. And we could get into this argument and spin it around again and again and again. Suffice it to say, Microsoft has decided that the most efficient usage of their resources is to purchase Activision. And it's kind of difficult to argue against them on that score. Now we get into some Sony attacks. Public 
Sony attacks, right? Sony has attacked Xbox. Sony has attacked Microsoft at places like Games Industry Biz, at Eurogamer, other places that we have seen these quotes, certainly in the CMA statements, in other statements we now know Sony has put forth to the regulators. Microsoft is taking the kid gloves off a little bit. Sony has emerged as the loudest objector. It's as excited about this deal as Blockbuster was about the rise of Netflix. Now, this is an interesting metaphor to use because what does everybody know about Blockbuster? Blockbuster is gone. And what is the main complaint from regulators? Is that if Microsoft is allowed to make this purchase, then Sony can no longer compete in the video game industry, that Sony will be gone. Now, I think that's ludicrous. I think that Game Pass and xCloud and all these various ways to get games into your eyeballs are not sub are not separate markets, but are instead substitutes for each other. They're just business models, different delivery mechanisms. And so I don't think it's like the exact same thing here that Microsoft is saying about Blockbuster and Netflix, but it does raise the, the specter of, uh, okay, so Sony's worried about being destroyed. And then you say the sentence, it's as excited about this deal as Blockbuster was about the rise of Netflix. I'm not so sure on that, metaphorically, rhetorically, right? I get what you're saying. You're trying to equate essentially renting videos to streaming videos, and that seems to have technological applicability here. But I can't help but think that Blockbuster was destroyed by the rise of streaming, and that is what Sony is most concerned about. Now, the alternative to that, a technologist or even an economist would say Blockbuster deserved to be destroyed. They didn't adapt to a changing ecosystem, to consumer preferences or demands, and that that is what we want to have happen in a competitive landscape is to have those companies destroyed, to have those resources distributed elsewhere. And I'm sure that's what Brad Smith and Microsoft is thinking. But optically, optically, I think it's probably a bad look to make an equation to a company that we know in the zeitgeist at a cultural level got decimated by the change in technology and movement of the business. The main supposed potential anti-competitive risk Sony raises is that Microsoft would stop making Call of Duty available on the PlayStation, but that would be economically irrational. We'll talk about that more when we get to the end of this paragraph. A vital part of Activision Blizzard's Call of Duty revenue comes from PlayStation game sales. Given the popularity of crossplay, it would also be disastrous to the Call of Duty franchise and Xbox itself alienating millions of gamers. So that argument is effectively that Call of Duty, like any other multiplayer game, relies on a lot of people playing it, that crossplay enables that, that there are millions of players that play it on the PlayStation, and if you were just to cut them off, the actual value of the overall franchise, the intellectual property, the games that release would be lessened because instead of 12 million people playing it, you'd only have 6 million people. And that is a lesser product for this purpose. The number of people playing a given game in a multiplayer environment is actually an important asset to that game's longevity and success. I don't disagree with that, but this is too strong. And I've, I've criticized Microsoft every time they've gone this route, that it is economically irrational, is too strong of a statement. And I think it's one of the reasons why the CMA and the EU are rejecting it so significantly. It strikes intuitively as wrong. There is, of course, an economic incentive to withhold the Call of Duty product, same as there's an economic incentive to withhold Starfield. Now, the math might be different. That's why economically is making this statement not categorically false, right? Okay, economically irrational, you're saying you're looking at the math, but it still comes across as you saying it's an impossibility that you would ever take Call of Duty off these systems. 
And we know you're trying to sell Game Passes. You said that up front. You said you need more games in Game Pass to make a subscription service. If you just decided at one point in your ownership of the assets that that loss was worthwhile to deliver this product and to make this product more popular, well, then no one would disagree with the fact that you have the incentive to do so. And that's where the CMA and the EU probably are ostensibly getting caught up. There is a world in which we could see you foreclosing this from Sony, even if you're giving up immediate dollars to make long-term recurring revenue dollars and to set your particular brand in Game Pass and Microsoft and Xbox as the place to play the best games or whatever else you'd market this as, right? So it isn't completely irrational. It might be economically irrational in the short term, but one can easily imagine a long-term scenario that you would be focused upon. CMA says, hey, you guys have talked about foreclosure strategies internally. I have no doubt that that isn't the case. And they have said you have foreclosed other games. You've announced things like Starfield only being on the Xbox. Now the CMA, as I've mentioned in other videos in this playlist on this channel, gets the math wrong. The bigger the game, the harder it is to pull it back for an exclusive, not the opposite. They're very wrong on that vis-a-vis Starfield versus Call of Duty. But I do think they continue to position this too strongly and it's too easily batted back saying, okay, no, it's not impossible for you guys to make this decision. It's a business strategy question. And we're all prognosticating about the future here. So you at Microsoft might be able to say there's a multiplier here. We can sell more Game Passes there. We can sell more Xboxes here and we can make it make sense. And we don't just believe you that there's no possibility that this could ever happen. So that's where I think one of the, is one of the places Microsoft gets caught up. And even as someone that thinks this deal should go through, and I do think it's unlikely that they would cut off Call of Duty of their own accord, this continues to be too strong of language. And I think it is one of those areas where Microsoft could really be better off positioning themselves a little bit more genteely. That's why we've offered Sony a 10-year contract to make each new Call of Duty release available on PlayStation the same day it comes to Xbox. This is an important kind of distinguishing sentence. This 10-day offer continues to gain more clarity. This is officially Brad Smith putting forth personally in the Wall Street Journal that this is an offer. The most recent version of this we saw was the New York Times saying Microsoft says that there's a 10-year deal. We also get a little bit more clarity on points. Now, there's a lot that would go into a license on commercial terms in this. We're not seeing that, of course, behind the scenes, but we do get each new Call of Duty release. We haven't seen that language before. One of the open arguments that people were having online is that when you say Call of Duty, what do you mean? Nobody thinks you're taking Advanced Warfighter off the PlayStation. So when you say, we're not going to be removing Call of Duty, sure, we understand you're not going to be somehow trying to take back the licenses that you sold. You also have the problem that you're a live services game at the same time, right? Call of Duty Warzone 2 is arguably more important than the rest of the Call of Duty franchise. It's already on PlayStation. There's no indication that you would remove it because it is a free-to-play multiplayer game. But what people are very interested in is Modern Warfare 3, the next iteration of Black Ops, whatever else might be on the horizon for Call of Duty. When you've just been saying Call of Duty will be on PlayStation, there were really no assurances that we were talking about the same thing, the next Call of Duty entry, the next annual release. And here you get that language more specifically than you have seen it in other places. Each new Call of Duty release on the same day it comes to Xbox. Now, what you aren't seeing here is what Sony has started fighting for, which is that they are no longer satisfied just talking about Call of Duty being on the PlayStation. They have, A, started to ask for the deal to be blocked, which they weren't really asking for in the initial statements that we saw from them, and B, saying, well, okay, if you're not going to block it, what we really need to be talking about is not just that Call of Duty appears on the PlayStation, it needs to be on PlayStation Plus the same as it is on Game Pass. 
Now, I've looked at the Sony statements. We have that three-hour video in this playlist you can check out. I, again, think that argument is lacking in merit, primarily because of Sony's own behaviors towards AAA games, where they won't put them on those particular subscription services because they don't think it makes economical sense. So it makes at least a certain amount of logical sense from the Microsoft perspective to say, fine, we think it makes sense. It's our game. We'll put it on our Game Pass service, but you can sell it on your platform. We're not going to put it on your service because, well, you don't think it makes sense anyway. And honestly, we're looking for distinguishing characteristics of our Game Pass service in particular. Brad Smith continues, we're open to providing the same commitment to other platforms and making it legally enforceable by regulators in the US, UK, and European Union. So you don't have to take our word for it, right? Sony, if you're concerned that we're somehow going to welch on our commercial contract, because you can do that, you can pay damages, and you really think you need the game more than you would need the damages, we can go through the regulatory process. We are talking to the EU. We're talking to the FTC. We're talking to all these various bodies. And what you can do is you can say, we would like this ratified as a guarantee facing actual government action if we don't follow through on this. And that could give you a little bit more peace of mind. Microsoft, they point out, made a similar commitment to the European Commission when we acquired LinkedIn in 2016, ensuring access to key technologies for competing services. Now that sounds exactly like what the FTC, or in particular, the Department of Justice is currently having issues with, with respect to Live Nation and Ticketmaster, which apparently promised certain technologies to be available to competitors, and they believe that's been breached, and there's been certain things with negotiations with venues. So one of the areas in which just kind of because reality is stranger than fiction uh, is happened is that Taylor Swift and her Swifty tickets are having a direct implication on the Federal Trade Commission and whether or not they should allow quote unquote behavioral remedies in a deal like this one. If I would have said at the beginning of the year that Taylor Swift would have a potentially major impact on the Microsoft Activision deal, I don't think you would have believed me. And yet here we are in December of 2022. Some regulators worry that any big tech acquisition will harm consumers and workers. That's Brad Smith, somewhat straw manning, right? The suggestion that there are folks out there, particularly in Congress uh, or at the commission level that say any kind of combination will harm consumers and workers. That obviously isn't really a position held by anyone, although you can make certain arguments based on speech making. But Brad Smith continues, Microsoft is committed in February to govern its new cloud-based game store by the pro-competition principles outlined in the App Store legislation pending in Congress. Pending is perhaps a little bit too generous to the App Store regulation. We'll see if that goes anywhere. And in May, we negotiated a precedent-setting agreement with the Communication Workers of America, allowing workers to organize easily at studios, including Activision Blizzard, and at the same time, ZeniMax and Microsoft the same day itself. So you can see, writ large, exactly what we've covered in this playlist. As described by Brad Smith, the steps that Microsoft has taken from January to February to March, through the summer, June and July, and now faced with the FTC leak, maybe, that they're thinking about suing, the FTC leak, maybe, that they're thinking about not, and Microsoft saying, all right, this is what we've been paying for for a year. This is what we've been trying to set up for the longest time. Let's put this all out in the open at a place like the Wall Street Journal. Blocking our acquisition, they finish off, would make the gaming industry less competitive and gamers worse off. And I have seen on social media some backlash to this notion. Again, I think Microsoft probably advocates its position a little bit too far. It's hard to see how the status quo 
makes gamers worse off, but there is at least the inkling of some truth there, which is to say, if you've got a government regulator that is going to stop a deal, which as I've told you, as others have told you, really doesn't have a lot of legal backing under antitrust precedent to block in this fashion, well then you are going to have a certain amount of chilling effect on what companies like Microsoft do and what other companies do within that industry. It might well make gamers worse off if you're just locked in to a status quo where Sony is your king and kingdom from now on and forevermore. Think about how much better it is to stream a movie from your couch than drive to Blockbuster, says Brad Smith. We want to bring that same sort of innovation to the video game industry. And I point this out because it's interesting to see the focus being on this Netflix cloud streaming approach. Now, this is an article specifically written for an audience that isn't familiar with games, right? So you see all these metaphors. Think of Netflix. Think of Blockbuster. They're Blockbuster. We're Netflix. They're standing in the way of technological innovation. Yet at the same time, when it is argued to them that they've got a problem because they control too much of the cloud gaming infrastructure and giving them too much content might allow them to monopolize that and control it in a way that places like here, the CMA, is uncomfortable with, Microsoft's primary argument is basically that cloud gaming doesn't exist. The issue statement delivered by the CMA, as argued by Microsoft in this 111-page document, I have not reviewed separately uh, in a context in virtual reality. I do apologize for that. It was too verbose to easily make into a YouTube video. Fails to recognize that the merger aims to facilitate the adoption of an innovative service, which they would classify as kind of a separate thing, cloud gaming for which there is currently no proven consumer demand. It also fails to recognize the challenges involved in bringing cloud gaming to market. Cloud gaming is small and uncertain to succeed. It is a new and immature technology which faces significant challenges. So on one side of their mouth, they're telling the CMA, you don't need to worry about the cloud market. It's not only nascent technology, it might not be an existing market whatsoever, really shouldn't be a great concern. And to the Wall Street Journal, they're saying it's the entire reason for the acquisition, right? That Think of Netflix versus Blockbuster. We want people to be able to stream a game from your couch that's cloud. And so it's a very interesting situation that they found themselves in, kind of arguing both directions here. I tend to agree with the overall notion that innovative services in not just nascent markets, but non-existent markets should be encouraged. We want the people with the capital. We want the people with the big money to take risks, to go and see if there aren't further markets to satisfy further consumer demands that maybe even the consumers themselves don't know that they need right now. And yet, I do have to admit, it does come across as perhaps a little ironic that you have these two separate arguments being presented in two different ways uh, in both the Wall Street Journal and to the CMA itself. What do you think about these various things? Do you think Microsoft is making a good play? Do you think that this was a PR blitz yesterday or I'm making too big of a deal out of one, two, three separate articles covering this as well as a host of other coverage in other outlets, editorials like the ones we saw in The Econ uh, Economist and elsewise. And what do you think of the arguments presented by Microsoft? Where is the FTC gonna fall? And are we going to be talking about this until me and you and everyone else that you know is dead? I'm not sure. We seem to not be running out of episodes or episode subjects anytime soon. This 
has been Virtual Legality for today. If you enjoy conversations about the business and law of technology, software, video games, antitrust, and more, please consider supporting the channel. We can't do it without support from viewers and listeners like you. We've got that Utreon. We've got that Patreon. You can sponsor an episode like Riketsu86 did today. Special thanks to Riketsu86 again. Or if none of those strike your fancy, just subscribing, ringing bells, upvoting, downvoting, sharing this on forums that you go to, on Reddit, or wherever else you might find yourself. Every single little bit helps. Now, if you catch this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel. Thank you.